Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Plant Powered People Podcast with your hosts, Michelle Kane and Tony Okamoto. Today, we are excited to have on a guest who has been a tremendous resource and wealth of knowledge in the realm of raising plant based kids, Dr. Reshma Shah. She is a plant-based pediatrician. She's the author of the book, Nourish, the definitive plant-based nutrition guide for families that she co-authored with registered dietitian, Brenda Davis. And she is just a tremendous resource. We get into a lot in this episode. We chatted with her about what it's like for a nursing mother, a mother who can't nurse, what to feed a baby, different formulas, and all the way up to how to feed your adolescent child. So there's a lot of good stuff in this interview. Yeah, I can't wait to dig in. I learned a lot, even though this is something I've been deep in (laughs) for the past couple of years with my own little one. So if you're curious about what vitamins, what nutrients you need to be really aware of as parents, um, if you know plant-based parents, or even just parents who are considering how to raise their child most healthfully and could learn a bit about nutrition, this is a good episode to be sure to send them. So without further ado, let's jump in. We are excited to have Caroloha back as a sponsor to the Plant Powered People podcast. As I mentioned in one of our last episodes, I found them while shopping with my family in Maui, and I, I was surprised by how they had so many different types of products in their store, like activewear, bedding, towels, and more. And everything was so incredibly soft and high quality. And we ended up coming home with a few products and loved it so much that we ended up registering for towels and bedding for our wedding. So our house is pretty stocked with Caraloha stuff and it is all really high quality. And the true beauty of Caraloha and why we thought it would be a perfect fit for this podcast is that they are incredibly sustainable. That is their mission. And most of their products are made from bamboo. And as we've talked a little bit about before, bamboo is one of the most sustainable materials First of all, Tony loves pandas and pandas love bamboo. So we love bamboo too. But bamboo is very sustainable. It regenerates naturally. It grows super fast. And bamboo is also 100% biodegradable, which is so important when we're thinking about the landfills. So many sheets and just clothing products and everything end up in landfills and they never biodegrade. But bamboo kind of takes the toll off of those landfills, making it a little bit more eco-friendly, a lot more eco-friendly. So definitely check out Caraloha. Their items are kind of more specialty investment items, but they are so soft. They're so luxurious. And knowing that they're good for the planet too, it makes it worth saving a little bit more and just taking care of them really well so that you can appreciate the things around you. And what's also cool is that not only are you investing in high quality products for your home, but they The company also is doing amazing things like supporting reforestation, renewable energy, and other community projects that are helping better the planet. So they invest the money that they're making into helping us get our world healthier. And that's an amazing investment. Yeah, they their tagline is a comfy way to save the world. And that's probably one of my favorite ways to save the world yet <laughs> is snuggling up in cozy blankets and the softest sheets on the planet from Caraloha. So check them out at C-A-R-I-L-O-H-A.com, Caraloha.com. Next up, we've got an organic superfood energy bar that is packaged in a fully compostable wrapper. It's Live Bar. You've heard us talk about them before. They're, they have moved their line to be fully vegan, which is really exciting. They're also nut-free, so they're allergen-free, which is great because if your kiddos are going to take these to school or anything like that, they're not made for kids. They're made for adults. They're superfood products, but my little one actually loves them, and they're packed with healthy nutrients, so I love to share them with him. And because they are nut-free and allergy-free, they're kind of school-friendly, plain-friendly, things like that. So love that about Live Bar. Another thing that is cool about their packaging is that it's made in a facility that is powered by solar energy. Isn't that cool? That's super neat. There is, I feel like they're doing all the things. They check out their USDA certified organic 
They are corn-free, GMO-free, dairy-free, soy-free, gluten-free. Some of the ingredients, it's interesting, I'm looking at one, and the ingredients are all recognizable items that you would want to be putting into your system because they're so packed with nutrients. This one has pumpkin seeds, coconut nectar, sunflower seeds, sesame seeds, dates, hemp seeds, brown rice, flax meal, quinoa, coconut, lemons, ginger, vanilla, cinnamon, Himalayan sea salt, and turmeric. It like is packing in more superfoods than you would ever go to eat on your on your own when you're cooking. So I'd say that's the biggest benefit of this bar is just jamming jamming the health in to a bar that will fill you up. It'll satisfy you and you'll know you're doing your body a solid. And if you are interested in getting some live bars for yourself, you can get them at a variety of grocery stores, but check out their store locator at livebar.com. And we will include that in the show notes. Thank you, Live Bar. And thank you, Caraloha. Now onto the show. Hi, Dr. Shaw. Thank you so much for coming on to the Plant Powered People podcast. We're excited to have you. I'm so excited to be with both of you today. Well, before we get into all of the good stuff, I want to know where you're calling from. So I live in the Bay Area. Um, I'm in Menlo Park, and I live here with my husband and two children. And we've been in California now for, gosh, it feels like seven, eight years now. Very cool. And can you give us a little bit of background on what you do? Yeah, so I'm a pediatrician. And um, for a long time, I worked mostly in primary care settings, mostly in large hospital settings, in teaching hospitals with residents and medical students. And over the last several years, I've become increasingly interested in nutrition and the role that it plays in supporting our families. And so I sort of made a transition into writing and talking about nutrition, um, but still very much working with the residents and medical students when I can. That's awesome. And have you always had a focus on plant-based living? Sort of. Um, it's kind of a complicated question because I think a lot of people that I've spoken to that are either in the vegan movement or interested in plant-based nutrition, you know, they often tell these stories about how they grew up in a traditional American household where it was sort of a meat and potatoes family. And then they sort of learned about nutrition and made this amazing transformation. And for me, it was kind of a little bit in the opposite direction. I actually grew up in a vegetarian family. So during my early stages of growing up, you know, we didn't call it at the time back in the 1970s and 80s, but I was essentially eating a plant-based diet. But, you know, as I got older and especially as I left home, I definitely was not plant-based for a very long time. And, you know, during my college education and especially during residency and medical education, I was just another busy resident and student trying to make it through the day. And I ate very close to the standard, a healthier version of the standard American diet. So I was plant-based growing up, then was not plant-based for a very long time. And it's actually when I started having kids of my own that I started to pay more attention to the role that food and nutrition plays you know, in the health and well-being of your family. I think that oftentimes, you know, we'll sort of eat whatever we can get our hands on, but when you become responsible for the growth and well-being of another human, suddenly you start to pay a lot closer attention. And so the more that I sort of started to learn about nutrition and what diet can really optimize health, overwhelmingly, it seemed that a plant-based diet was the right approach. And I mean, I think secretly my mom was probably like, I told you, I've been telling you this all along. So <laughs> it's been kind of a full circle journey for me. It's really interesting that you have had that experience of eating healthier because of your children, because Michelle and I are known to chow down on some vegan burgers, followed by some ice cream, followed by some cookies. <laughs> and since she's had her baby, it is a lot different, a lot different because whatever she's eating, he wants to eat. Yes. Yeah, it's it's I think that children really we are their first teachers and um oftentimes when parents come to me sort of, you know, worried or concerned, um I remind them that really they're looking to us. And so what, you know, you you have to sort of model the behavior. And I think, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about this a little bit more, but I think that for families and especially when you're working with children, there is definitely a place for those kinds of fun foods like burgers and ice creams and things like that. And I tend not to focus too much on trying to attain any sort of a perfect diet because it's not possible. And 
really bringing a lot of joy and enjoyment around food and modeling the behavior that you want your kids to see, you know, that you want them to um, have in terms of how they feed themselves, because eventually they will lead our, leave our dinner tables. And we want them to be able to make choices that are going to support their health and well-being when they're, you know, not under our dire- direct supervision. Before we get started on the deeper diving into this subject, Michelle has a lot of questions from her own experience as a newer mom. But I know the biggest the biggest one that we have all heard is, is it okay for kids to be plant-based? Can Is it possible? Can they get sick if they're plant-based? I know in the media, there are some mixed messages. And so I'm wondering if you could give us some clarification. Absolutely. And I think, you know, the short answer is absolutely kids can be plant-based, but I think it's a little bit more nuanced because, you know, when you're feeding your child a plant-based diet, you do have to give some thought and consideration. And what we're really hoping to support parents in doing is to provide their children with an appropriately planned plant-based diet. And sometimes parents become really worried and alarmed, like, what does appropriately planned mean? And does that mean I'm going to have to go to um, learn how to be a dietitian in order to feed my family? And the truth is, is that all diets for children, whether you're plant-based, omnivorous, vegetarian, pescatarian, whatever diet you're choosing to feed your family, um, it needs to be well-planned. You know, as a pediatrician, I've treated many, many kids for nutrient deficiencies, whether it's iron deficiency anemia or even rickets from vitamin D deficiency. And none of those kids were following a plant-based or vegan diet. So you do have to put some care and consideration into it, but it does not have to be overwhelming. And we want to optimize the growth, development, and well-being of our children. But we also want to feed them a diet that can prevent many of the chronic diseases that we see in the United States and throughout the world. But it also, you know, leaves us with a planet that we can actually inhabit. And ultimately, I mean, I can't think of a better lesson in compassion than choosing to eat this way. That's all really great information. And I know it's going to help so many people. In your schooling, how big of a portion of your education was diet and wellness in pediatrics? It was very little. I mean, I can't really, I don't really remember any formal lectures talking about dietary approaches and how we should be advising our families to eat. I think it was just sort of on the fly learning. And so I think, you know, oftentimes people look to their pediatricians, their healthcare providers for reliable information on nutrition. And the reality is less than 25% of medical schools meet the minimum requirement in terms of nutrition and medical education. So uh, we receive very little, if any, direct training on nutrition. Did you notice that while you were going through it? Or is this something that you you realized as you were becoming a parent and learning what to feed your own children? I was completely unaware when I was in my training. I mean, I I really didn't pay any attention to the, you know, hospital food that my patients are being fed. I think I was much more focused on learning about a lot of these diseases, you know, how to treat different infections and how to manage the care of a baby in the NICU or a child in the pediatric intensive care unit. And, you know, I didn't really even notice a gap in my education um, until I you know, first, you know, had children of my own. And also when I started to interact with patients and parents were asking me questions, I think that's when I really noticed the gap in my education. And so it was really up to me to start learning as much as I could on my own. Well, I'm so glad that you did. And it's one of the really awesome benefits of your book, Nourish, the Definitive Plant-Based Nutrition Guide for Families. And what I think is so cool about it is that you come from the pediatrician angle, but you also co-wrote it with Brenda Davis, who's a registered dietitian, who has been studying fully focused on nutrition. And to have those two perspectives come into one to create a comprehensive resource for parents who are really trying to relatively quickly learn up on what they need to know to create a balanced and nutritious diet that is plant-powered for their kids. It is so helpful. So thank you for creating that resource. You know, working with Brenda has been one of the greatest honors of my professional career. She is just, she's such a wealth of knowledge. She understands all of these topics so deeply. And she's also one of the most compassionate, kind humans I've had the fortune of knowing. So it was a wonderful collaboration. And I know you both know what it means to, you know, have a great partner in crime when you're taking on such a big endeavor. Yeah, I think it's rare, but we both got very lucky. <laughs> All three of us got very lucky in our yeah, collaboration. Yeah, I would agree. 
That is awesome. So yes, now that I've become a parent, I get questions all the time on social media from parents, prospective parents, individuals who are pregnant and just trying to get ready for what's to come about the ins and outs of nutrition for raising plant-based kids, vegan kids, vegan vegetarian kids. I get I get all of the questions. And so I actually went on social media and asked I put a question box up for people to submit questions to bring to you on this podcast. So I picked the ones that were being asked the most, and I'm really excited to dive in. Should we kick it off with, I mean, this? you kind of answered this, but I don't think it can be said enough. Can it provide adequate nutrition? Can eating plant-based provide adequate nutrition? And then if so, what are some of the benefits of choosing a plant-based diet for your kids? Okay, so it's it's absolutely safe and appropriate, but I think it's really important to emphasize that we do have to give certain considerations. And I think what one thing I want to sort of mention before we sort of move into the specific details is we have to remember that even omnivorous diets require certain fortification and supplementation. Like take, for instance, cow's milk. It's not naturally, uh, it doesn't naturally contain vitamins D and A. It, they're fortified. So oftentimes we don't really give a second thought to certain supplements or precautions that may need to be taken because our dietary guidelines and our dietary approaches really cater towards an omnivorous omnivorous eating pattern. So a vegetarian, vegan, plant-based diet can absolutely be safe for growing children. There are certain nutrients that we have to pay particular attention to, whether it's um, increasing their consumption in the diet, using fortified foods, or taking a supplement if it's indicated. So that's the first part. And the remind me of the second part of the question. I sort of just, I really want to emphasize that it's absolutely safe and, and appropriate for growing children. We just need to, you know, be thoughtful. Okay, cool. And we will dive into some of those nutrients because I think that in getting more into the specifics of that is questions that we get a lot. The other is just what are some of the benefits of oh, if yeah. it's an appropriately planned plant-based diet, then what can some of the benefits be? So we, you know, we have a lot of studies looking at um, growth and um, even certain nutritional markers in children, but we don't have a lot of data on, you know, the longer term things that we see in adults like the chronic diseases, but we know that plant-based diets have been shown to be protective against a variety of chronic diseases, whether it's heart disease or type 2 diabetes, even cognitive decline in terms of Alzheimer's, a variety of inflammatory conditions. So it stands to reason that if we introduce our children to a plant-based diet, it will help protect against um, them developing many of these chronic diseases. Additionally, when they look at the diet quality of children who are eating a plant-based diet, they find that children eating plant-based diets tend to have a higher overall quality of their diet. And what I mean by that is they tend to eat um, more fruits and vegetables. They tend to eat less saturated fat and more of the healthy polyunsaturated fats. They tend to eat fewer salty and sweet snacks and they have an increased intake of several nutrients from folate and vitamin C, um, even iron. And they tend to also have a lower risk of developing overweight and obesity. That's awesome. One of the questions that I see sometimes online, which I think is kind of, it makes me giggle because it seems so obvious in my head, but it's also something in my own life I've seen people say with my child is just, oh my gosh, they're not going to grow big enough. They Are they going to get even enough nutrients to survive. Does eating vegan impact a child's growth and development? And now I have a, my child is a 99 plus percentile in, in height and growing healthfully. What would you say to that? Yeah. So I think when you look at the studies on the growth of vegan and vegetarian children, what you find is, is that they have adequate growth. The one time where they can potentially have a slower rate of growth is actually between the ages of one and three, which is kind of right where you're at, if I remember correctly, Michelle. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason for that is a couple of things. Some of the studies when they looked, um, especially some of the earlier studies, um, a lot of vegan communities tended to breastfeed for a longer period of time and breastfeeding, though breastfed children tend to sort of grow a little bit slower, but then they completely catch up. So there are higher rates of breastfeeding. The other thing is that if you are eating a very, very high fiber diet, which one of the benefits of a plant-based diet is that it's really a great, you know, it's a fiber rich diet, which we know has so many benefits. But if you can imagine like little kids between, especially between the ages of one and three, their bellies are pretty small. So if they fill up on a lot of high fiber foods, it can be difficult for them to meet their caloric requirements. So if you provide children with enough calories and a variety of foods, 
they grow just as well as omnivorous children. Sometimes, especially in the younger ages, I encourage parents to maybe not include so many high fiber foods. So including some refined grains or using calorically dense things like nut butters and avocados and things that are sort of more calorie heavy is probably a good idea. That's awesome. Well, I can tell you Graham's favorite foods are all high calorie avocados, <laughs> peanut butter, any nut butter, right. tahini. I mean, yeah. The most important thing you want to do is to sort of follow your child's growth over time. And if there is any kind of a shift in the growth, it's something that you want to talk to your pediatrician about. But as long as they're sort of tracking along their growth curves, they seem happy at mealtimes, they're eating a wide variety of foods, and you're not really experiencing a lot of challenges around feeding, I don't think you have to worry too much. Okay. And then what about the protein question? Someone asked, how will I get them the protein and nutrition that they need without meat and dairy? Yeah. So I think one of the best places I can point you to is there was a study that was um, published, I think it was either... 2019 or 2020. It's the Vecchi study, and it was a study conducted out of Germany in which, and actually just in May, they published a follow-up study following older children. But this initial study was done in children ages one to three, and they looked at their growth and a variety of different parameters, including protein intake. And the omnivorous children had they were consuming three times the protein that they needed. And the vegan and vegetarian children were consuming two times as much protein as they needed. Mm -hmm. So I think of all the nutrients that we're likely to talk about, protein is the one that I'm the least concerned about. And again, it goes back to if you're providing your child with enough calories and variety of foods, especially including things like beans and tofu and nut butters and seeds and things like that, it would be really difficult not to meet their protein requirements. So let's talk about what parents, what nutrients parents need to be most aware of. And are there vitamins and supplements that are necessary? What should parents be looking out for? Yeah, so there's a whole, actually on our website, we actually have a table that we listed all the sort of potential nutrients that you might want to pay attention to and what some of the plant-based sources are. The one nutrient that I will say there is universal consensus. For those following um, an entirely vegan diet, one non-negotiable is vitamin B12. And the reason for this is because the consequences of being B12 deficient can be quite devastating. Um, we store B12 in our bodies for a long time. So if you miss a day or two, or even a few days, it's not going to be catastrophic. But especially for babies that are young and you know they have rapid neurodevelopment, B12 def deficiency can be catastrophic. The good news is it's probably one of the easiest nutrients to supplement. You know, you can get it through fortified foods um, or you can take it as a supplement. And B12 supplements are fairly inexpensive. There's really minimal, not minimal, there's really no side effects, um, no significant side effects, and it's pretty easy to take. The one reason that I recommend a supplement in young children, now if you're breastfeeding and mom is taking B12, baby will get B12 through breast milk. But after you've stopped breastfeeding, you need to ensure that baby is getting a source of B12. And the reason that I recommend a supplement over fortified foods for children is because, you know, their intake can be very inconsistent. One day they're, you know, drinking their soy milk and the next day they don't want to. And there's so much inconsistencies with their diet, especially if you've got a picky eater on your hands, that it's just easy to make sure that they take the B12 supplement. So that's a non-negotiable. You want to make sure that they're getting a regular, reliable source of B12. Do you have a recommendation? I know that for adults, it really varies on the quality of supplements. Is there one that's really good for children? You know, we don't recommend any specific um, brand of um, supplements often. And the, one of the reasons we do that is because insurance companies, it's very variable. I think, you know, making sure that it's a reliable supplement company that has third-party testing is kind of the best way to go. But I know what people's insurance covers will often vary. They have B12 sprays and liquids. For some children, even a good quality multivitamin. I've been seeing lately, um, and you, I'm sure you guys have also been seeing this, supplement companies, vitamin companies that are specifically tailored towards vegan and plant-based families. So finding one where you feel like you know they, they've got good third-party testing and the quality is good. But B12 is one of those ones that I, I don't think you have to get too fancy with. It can just be regular B12 is fine. Okay, cool. So as soon as you stop breastfeeding, if you are breastfeeding, then be sure to supplement B12. What about vitamin D? Because that's something that I, yeah. I hear from the very beginning we need to be careful yeah. with. Yeah. And vitamin D is actually one of those supplements that um, you start even when you're breastfeeding because the amount of vitamin D in breast milk is not very 
high. It's not very reliable, even if mom is taking vitamin D. So the American Academy of Pediatrics, it's, it's a universal recommendation. It does not depend on the type of diet that you are following. All breastfed babies should begin vitamin D supplementation somewhere around after the two-week visit. So, and again, the reason for vitamin D supplementation is deficiency can cause um, some pretty significant effects. I've actually seen and treated babies with rickets because they weren't getting adequately supplemented with vitamin D. So vitamin D you get from the get-go. If you're breastfeeding, it's um, drops that you give your baby. And if you're formula feeding, then it usually has all the supplements that the baby would need. And cool. vitamin D is something that, you know, it's, it's it, there's a lot of factors that can influence um, how much vitamin D you may need. It's your skin pigmentation, where you live, how much sun exposure. But I think increasingly we're seeing that pretty much everyone needs to be taking vitamin D supplement unless you're consistently drinking fortified beverages. Definitely. And then do you know much about the different types of vitamin D? Because some are vegan, some are not vegan. Is there anything parents should know about that? The good news is, is that I have found it remarkably easy to find that information. They will say um, if it's vegan and if that's something that's important to you, certainly I think, but you can absolutely get vegan vitamin D. I think oftentimes the non-vegan ones is like, it's from like lamb or, you know, sheep and things like that. So I found it very, very easy to get um, vegan D- D3. Okay. Awesome. And then another nutrient that, or another thing that comes up often as parents are transitioning into solid foods. Um, and even I think after four or five months is iron where the sources are no longer sufficient to provide the needs for the baby. Can you talk a little bit about iron? Again, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but iron deficiency anemia is the most common nutrient deficiency worldwide, regardless of the diet that you follow. Typically what happens is baby builds up iron stores in the last trimester of pregnancy and around four to six months of age, those iron stores start to decline and breast milk is, it has some iron, but it's not a great source of iron. So around four to six months of age is when the iron stores for babies um, will start to decline. It's interesting to note that in the United States, the American Academy of Pediatrics actually recommends beginning an iron supplement um, between four to six months of age. But not all countries like Canada, a lot of European countries don't necessarily um, agree with that recommendation. So if you're between the ages of four to six months, um, I would recommend just talking to your pediatrician to see if it's reasonable to start an iron supplement. And then right around six months of age is when you're going to start introducing solid foods. And Brenda and I recommend that actually one of the first, there's really two reasons to introduce solid foods at six months of age. One is you want to sort of begin to expose them to a variety of tastes and textures. And if you wait too much beyond six months, you can begin to experience a lot of feeding challenges, but they do get some nutrients when they start to feed. And so when you begin feeding at six months, starting with something that is very iron rich makes good sense because you know that their iron stores are starting to decline. Um, And there's lots of plant foods that contain iron, you know, whether it's legumes or vegetables or even grains. But it can be really difficult for baby to meet their full iron requirements through food alone. And so we recommend using a fortified infant cereal. It's a great way to provide baby with the iron that they may need. And actually at a year of age, they need quite a bit of iron. One-year-olds need about as much iron as a grown adult, man. So their iron needs are pretty high at that age. So you can certainly do a lot of iron-rich foods. It also helps to do vitamin C with your iron-containing foods because it helps with the absorption. But I think that using an iron-fortified infant cereal um, is a great way to ensure adequate iron intake. That's Dr. awesome. Dr. Shaw, I'm curious to know what the consequences are of not feeding your child supplements or iron-rich foods. I think back to myself, I wasn't breastfed. I don't think my parents ever considered nutrition as part of my upbringing period. And so what are the consequences long-term? Yeah. I mean, it's going to be different for different nutrients. So for, we talked about vitamin D, it, it really can influence, vitamin D we're realizing it's, you know, it's our immune health and so many other factors, but specifically in childhood, it's related to bone health. So you can begin to see uh, deformities of the bone because the bones aren't developing adequately. In terms of iron deficiency, it can cause a variety of problems. The most marked are anemia, you can definitely see, and you can actually see some cognitive cognitive decline 
in infants and babies that are um, iron deficient. So it's a really critical nutrient. We need it for so much in, in terms of so many bodily functions, transporting our, you know, our red hemoglobin and our red blood cells and our cognitive development. So it's a really critical nutrient. And sometimes the deficiencies can be sort of subtle. And so you really want to sort of maximize that iron intake because you think about there's so much going on developmentally in those first few years of life. I have to say, when we were first starting solids, I had in my head without doing a lot of research that I was going to try and just make all whole foods and feed Mm -hmm. that to Graham. And my husband encouraged us to get the fortified infant cereals. And I'm so glad that we did because I retroactively learned the importance of iron. And it's also, it was also so much easier to just introduce foods that way. So yeah. Yeah. And I think that, you know, as parents, we face so much pressure. Like we want to do everything right. We want it to be organic. We want it to be homemade. We want it to be all these things. And I think a lot of times parents feel like, well, if I give my child this fortified food or this infant cereal, that somehow it's it's processed or that it's not good enough. But that's absolutely not the case. And sometimes including, you know, we can talk about processed foods, but I think when people think of processed foods, they sort of lump iron fortified infant cereal in the same category as a chili cheese dog. And they're two very (laughs) different things. So I think, you know, using the appropriate fortification and supplementation is absolutely necessary for growing children because our number one priority is to ensure their adequate growth development and well-being. Definitely. Okay, let's dive into probably the hardest question because I know there's not a simple answer to this, but I hear this from parents all of the time who can't breastfeed or who have adopted a child or for cho- who choose not to breastfeed for whatever reason and are then looking to other options such as formula. What are the options out there for them and what recommendations do you have? Because that is a tough field to navigate. Yeah. Well, first of all, I have a lot of empathy for parents who are either struggling to breastfeed, um, are not able to breastfeed. Um, if it's you know an adoption situation, there are a variety of reasons that breastfeeding may not be an option for a family. And it's okay. It is perfectly okay. I mean, I think fed is best, right? Like that's the most important thing. So if a, if a family um, is wanting to be vegan and maintain that for the baby as well, The only real option um, for babies is soy formula. I know a lot of people have questions about soy and is soy formula adequate? Is it, you know, going to cause any potential side effects? And in all the studies that we've seen with soy formula, babies do just fine. So, So soy formula is probably the sort of easiest and most acceptable option for parents that are wanting to be plant based or be vegan. Other two options would be um, there is human milk banking. And, you know, I have done some research into that. And it's, I think it's a wonderful thing um, offering donor milk. Um, the truth is, it can be quite expensive and is not a feasible option for most families. And I certainly would not recommend using donor milk that's not through, you know, a certified a donor milk bank. So that's one option. Sometimes insurance will cover donor milk for certain conditions, like for premature babies and things like that. So it's worth looking into if that's something you're interested in doing. And then the last option is really a cow's milk-based formula. And, you know, at the end of the day, I think you have to do what's going to work best for your family. And if if having your child on a cow's milk-based formula is really in their best interest. Um, you may need to do that for a period of time. There are a couple situations where soy milk is not appropriate. So for extremely premature babies, soy milk is not an option. Their kidneys can't really handle it. And and also for babies that are obviously allergic to soy, that would not be an option. And I have definitely come across parents that are just heartbroken because they're sort of determined to be plant-based. They want to be vegan for whatever reason, soy is not an option. And They feel heartbroken over having to give the baby a cow's milk-based formula, but I remind them that it's what the baby needs. So I would say soy formula, if donor milk is an option, um, that's, I I find it to be very, very expensive and not accessible for most families. And then obviously a cow's milk-based formula if neither one of those other options work. But I think there are, um, I've seen there are companies that are looking to develop infant formulas that are based in pea protein. So I think that's something that we're going to see in the future. It's not available right now. The one thing I will say is 
Uh, The only thing that's appropriate for infants ages zero to one year is breast milk or formula. Nothing else is appropriate. No almond milk, no soy milk, no toddler formulas. Really the safest thing for baby, it's only breast milk or formula. I wanted to say two things. I love that you give parents the option to do what's best for their family without guilt or shame. I also wanted to note that the same goes with with adults. I think about this regularly about how someone gets sick and they can only eat these types of foods for a little bit and then they get better and they're able to eat everything or they were traveling and they had this experience where they ate animal products for whatever reason. You can still come home and continue eating plant-based just like the baby who you wanted to raise plant-based had to drink cow's milk formula for a while. They can continue eating plant-based foods when they're able to eat solid foods and continue on that journey. Yeah. And I think one of the, you know, I always, when I'm faced with situations like that, I always try to remind myself that at the core of um, all of this is compassion. It's deep compassion. And we need to have that for ourselves as well. You know, we're all sort of doing the best that we can. And I, I think as parents especially, there is a lot of pressure to get everything just right. So we also need to have some compassion for ourselves. I think as as vegans too, separately, as, as vegans, we try to get everything perfect, but there is no such thing as perfection. And no. it is okay yeah. to slip up and come back and make choices that may be temporarily not aligned with what you want your life to be and still come back. So I am glad that you do that but or say that. But I also wanted to know if you have any resources on soy milk formula that we can put in the show notes. There are a couple papers um, and I can certainly share the links with the papers that have been published on soy milk specifically. Great. Thank you. Awesome. Yes, there's no such thing as perfection. Tony and I could spend all day listing things that we do that make us an imperfect vegan. And I know so many mamas don't even learn that they're going to have to turn to a non-breast milk option until 3 a.m. one morning when they're on a desperate call with, with their doctor or whatever, and they have to make a decision that's so tough. And it breaks my heart that they would have to carry any shame or guilt or or anything related to the choices that they're making that are best for their children. So let us all, please, as people, be non-judgmental of others as well as ourselves. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Okay, while we're talking about milk-type things, let's talk about when the kids get a little bit older. What about toddler milk? Do they need it? Is cow's milk a nutritional necessity for toddlers? What happens when the kids get a little older? So, you know... Mom can absolutely breastfeed. If breastfeeding is going well for mom and baby, they can absolutely continue beyond a year of age. And in many countries throughout Europe and throughout the world, it's actually quite normal for babies to be breastfed beyond a year of age. So if it's going well for mom and baby, you can absolutely continue to breastfeed until it's not going well or you know, you're feeling like you want to sort of wean off of breast milk. So once baby stops uh, breastfeeding, you know, I plant-based milks or cow's milk, it's definitely not a necessity, but I think it really can help to fill in some of the nutritional gaps. And I would recommend um, starting with, if you're going to transition off of breast milk or off of formula, to go to a plant-based fortified either soy or pea protein milk. And the reason that I recommend um, those two is they're going to be much more equivalent to cow's milk in terms of the protein content. So things like almond milk, And, you know, some of those lower calorie plant-based milks are not going to have the calories and the protein content that growing toddlers are going to need. So a fortified soy milk, um, or I think fortified soy milk has almost as much, depending on the brand, it varies from brand to brand, but can have as much protein and calcium as cow's milk. And cow's milk absolutely is not required during the toddler years. Uh, You know, there've been numerous studies to show that there are actually some potential harms of cow's milk. Um, now, for those families that do include their, you know, lacto-ovo vegetarian, and if they do include cow's milk in the diet, it's also important to remember not to give the child too much cow's milk. One of the most common causes of iron deficiency anemia is actually excessive intake of cow's milk. So, interesting. Do you recommend offering m- plant-based milks with with meals or before nap times, or does it? Not, not so much matter. 
I don't think it matters too much. I think that sometimes what ends up happening is it sort of replaces the breastfeeding or the formula feeding. So however you time those um, is kind of how you end up replacing it. The only reason I'm not a huge fan of doing the plant-based milks at a meal is, you know, if they fell up on the plant-based milk, they may not have room for the breakfast. But I think a lot of times I really encourage parents to trust their intuition. They uh, they are the experts in feeding their child and they're going to know what works best. And so if your child, you know, at breakfast, they do well with having oatmeal and a cup of soy milk and that works, that's perfectly fine. Some parents may find that it's better to do um, the plant-based milk at snack time. I think just, you know, be flexible. The easiest way is to sort of start swapping it out with either a breast feeding or a formula feeding. Okay. And is there anything parents should be aware of regarding sweetened milks or vanilla sweetened milks versus original soy milk? Yeah. What type should people should be looking for? So this is kind of, it goes back to that um, thing we were talking about of, you know, unprocessed as pure as possible. I've seen a lot of parents say, well, I'm only going to buy the milk with one ingredient. It's got soybeans and water and that's it. And I think that might be okay for, you know, like older people or not even older people, actually, I think that using a fortified plant-based milk is really good because it's going to give you calcium. It's going to give you vitamin D. It's going to give you B12 and some of the other, you know, just every brand is going to vary in terms of the specific nutrients that are fortified. I do recommend when you're starting with little ones to not use the um, the sweetened ones because they become used to the sweetness of the, you know, of the plant-based milk. So if you're doing like a chocolate milk or a vanilla that's sweetened, they just become used to it. So if they don't really know the difference, I say go with the unsweetened. There's a difference between sweetened and just regular. So sometimes the regular flavors will have maybe just a little bit of um, added sugar that could increase the palatability. For older kids, especially like my kids, um, you know, they're 16 and 19 and they're pretty selective in terms of which plant-based milks they like. And so if a little bit of flavor is going to get them to enjoy it more for older kids, I'm fine with it. But I would say to start with the unsweetened version first because you don't want them to get used to this sort of sweetness of it because then you're kind of stuck with it. Yeah, it's really hard to go backwards. My yeah. husband gave Graham the sweetened vanilla soy milk one time and Graham drank it He's like, up what every is job. He's what? like, this is a melted milkshake. <laughs> and then the next time I gave him the unsweetened kind, he was like, eh, this isn't my jam. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> start unsweetened is a really, really great Tip. But don't but don't be afraid of fortification is what I would Yeah. Say. And actually, my husband will be really glad to hear you saying that because I am one of those people who gets the, the soy milk that's just soybeans and water because I just feel like it's so pure. It's so simple. It's organic. Yeah. It's so, I mean, this is great, but you're totally right to have those fortifications and those other nutrients just covered. Um, yeah. well, one, of the, really one of the other nutrients that we didn't really talk about much, but there have been actually a couple of papers that have been published recently looking at bone health of vegans. And it's amazing to see that oftentimes in these studies, vegans don't come close to meeting their calcium requirements. And one of the best ways, I mean, there's tons of plant-based foods that have calcium in them, whether it's tahini or greens, but for little kids, if you give them a, you know, a couple of cups of fortified plant-based milk that has calcium, it is such an insurance policy that I, I just, I, I can't recommend it enough. That is so good to know. Okay, I'm going to move on to the fun part, which is designing your kid's plate. In your book, Nourish, you show a really cool visual of a plate, yeah. uh, actually a plate and then a side of things like supplements that people could be taking. But can you describe what a plant-based plate for kids might look like? Yeah. And I think it's going to vary with age, you know, so when, when they're young, remember we talked a little bit about how their bellies can really fill up with fiber. So you may want to take it easy on some of the, it's not to say you shouldn't give them lots of fruits and vegetables, but just make sure that they have room for some of the more calorically dense foods as well. So I think, you know, aiming for anywhere from a half to a third of their plate with fruits and vegetables, whatever they may enjoy, and then trying to do some sort of a whole grain or a starchy vegetable. And then the rest of it, you know, I hate saying like protein, but really legumes and tofu and things like that, that are going to sort of take up the protein portion of the plate. For toddlers, we mentioned that plant-based milks can be a great way to ensure it's a great source of calories and some of those nutrients that they may not be able to get in. But otherwise, water is also for older children is a perfectly reasonable option for their beverage. 
And then we can certainly talk about the sort of base supplements that we recommend um, the kids add to their, we put it sort of on the plate, it's sort of next to the plate, because those are things, even if you eat, and let's say you eat the perfect, whatever that means, if you eat the perfect plant-based diet, there are still some supplements that you, you should consider taking. Definitely. I love that when I talked to you months and months ago on an Instagram live that we did, you had mentioned tahini. And ever since then, I almost always put some on Graham's plate and he dips all sorts of stuff in that. Oh, that's so wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> a sophisticated flavor for a child. So I think it's good to introduce them to those things um, early on. Yeah. And tofu, he can just eat a block of tofu, uncooked, cooked. He just loves oh, it. My kids are the same way. <laughs> Awesome. Speaking of tofu, can we talk about soy for a quick second? I know as adults, we get the question all the time, is soy actually safe for adults? But even more people worry about it for kids. Is soy safe for children? Soy is very safe for children. And there are you know a few situations where you may be a little concerned. So obviously, if your child is allergic to soy, don't do soy. And you can absolutely eat a plant-based diet if you don't eat tofu. It's possible. So a lot of people say, well, if I'm allergic to soy, that means I can't be plant-based. There are so, I mean, you know, there's so many different options and varieties of food. So soy is perfectly safe. When they look at children who have had regular consumption of soy, they go on to have a lower risk of developing many of the cancers that we see in a lot of Asian countries, even women with breast cancer, soy is found to be protective if they have it as a regular part of the diet. The few studies, there's been like a case report of a study where they did, I think it was men that were consuming a lot of like soy isolate protein, and it was something up or close to 20 servings of soy a day. And there was a case report that they developed gynecomastia. So don't do 20 servings of soy per day for your child, but two to three servings of soy a day, whether it's tofu or edamame or soy milk or tempeh is perfectly safe. Can you share a few of your top tips for raising healthy kids and then sneaking healthy foods into meals? Because yeah. I know it's the dream that you can fill your kid's plate with maybe a third of fruits and vegetables, but getting them to actually eat it might be another story. So you kind of go into this in Nourish, and I think you share some great tips there. So I'm curious yeah. what do you have to share. So I would say to remind ourselves that we are in it for the long game. So I'm actually not a huge fan of sneaking and negotiating and bribing and forcing and bargaining because what happens is we really undermine our child's capacity to be able to enjoy these foods. So I've definitely, as a parent, I've tried all of those things. I've definitely done the sneaking and the you know bargaining and the I've made all the mistakes and I can tell you that it doesn't work in the long run. What does work in the long run is patience persistence. And actually, I think one of the most important things that we can do as parents is to create a joyful environment around eating. And when you model the behavior, when you provide your children with a variety of healthy choices, and you create that sort of connection and love and joy around feeding, I think that's really what empowers them to be competent eaters away from our dinner tables. You know, when you say to a child, if you eat two more bites of broccoli, then I will let you have a cookie. So in my mind, it does a lot of damage. First of all, what it tells the child is the broccoli is actually quite disgusting. And the only way you'll eat it is if I sort of have a cookie to offer you at the end of it. It also teaches the child that I don't trust you to write, to like broccoli. And you may get compliance. I mean, what kid is going to turn down a cookie? Kids will eat one, two, three more bites of broccoli if, they're no, if they know that there's a cookie at the end of that. But then every time you want them to eat broccoli or snap peas or a mango, they're going to expect some sort of treat at the end of that. And so I think we need to sort of disconnect those things. And you may have to offer the broccoli two, three, five, ten 10 times before they sort of accept it and enjoy it. But what you'll get at the end of that is they'll learn to enjoy broccoli away from your dinner tables. I'll never forget, um, my son used to go to a school back when we lived in Cleveland. My son used to go to a school where they would serve meals family style. And I remember when I had conference with his teacher, she sort of commented about lunchtime. And she said, do you know that Owen is the only child that goes to the salad bar every day? Wow. And that's, I mean, I, I never said you have to go to the salad bar every day. I didn't even know he had the option of going to the salad bar every day but he just sort of did it. 
And I'm not saying that I have some perfect eater and he would choose kale over cookies, but I'm just saying that when you practice these behaviors with your children on a consistent basis and it just becomes part of your routine, it becomes part of their routine. It's so true. It all comes back to modeling what you want your kids to absorb and then also involving them in the kitchen is so fun. I've had so much fun with Graham making smoothies that he doesn't even know they're smoothies that aren't green smoothies. You know, it's just another cool color of the rainbow type of smoothie we can make. And he eagerly sticks his little hand in the bag of spinach and throws it into the blender. Sort of like a fun game. So rather than saying, okay, I want my kid to eat more greens. And so I'm going to put this kale in the smoothie and he's not going to notice. They're so smart. They notice when you do something differently. If there's like one little piece of, you know, rogue kale, they're going to be like, what did you put my smoothie? (laughs) If you flip flip it around and you say, I wonder how much kale we can put in this smoothie to turn it green and let them be the ones that puts the spinach or the kale or the hemp seeds or whatever it is, absolutely get them involved. But you don't, I I don't really think you want to trick your way or sneak your way into getting your kids to eat more veggies because it's not no one likes to be tricked. I wouldn't like it. <laughs> Definitely. Kids pick up on that faster than we do as adults, I think. <laughs> They're, so They're so smart. What about making food fun? Like I see people make cute shapes on their plate or cut vegetables into little stars. Do you think that could ha- be harmful or beneficial? I think that as long as it's not creating too much stress for the parents or the caregivers, uh, go ahead and have fun with it. I think I see these, I think parents today have so much pressure because there was no Instagram when I was, uh, when my kids were young, but to see these beautiful bento boxes that I want someone to make that lunch for me. But I think if it, if it encourages your children to be curious and it makes it fun for them, go for it. But if it's adding like a, 10 layers of stress onto your already busy lives, it doesn't have to be that beautiful. I think I think the most important thing for kids, especially for older kids, honestly, it's just having it accessible. So if I have like a, a fruit bowl or if I have veggies that have been cut up and somehow, if I just lay it out there and it's all cut and ready to go, it doesn't have to be star shapes, they eat it. So have fun, get the kids involved, but don't add too much stress to your life. Everything does not have to be a beautiful bento box. <laughs> I love that. It reminds me of the modern day sandwich with the crust cut off. When I was a kid, I was so picky and I wouldn't eat anything with crust on it. I don't know who gave me the first idea that you could cut the crust off. (laughs) I'm just imagining kids being at a restaurant and being like, "Um, can I have my cucumbers shaped as stars, please? (laughs) 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 Well, we are winding down and I wanted to ask a couple practical questions for people who are trying to do their best. And I'm wondering if you have any advice for them as parents of children who are trying to feed their kids as healthy as possible and as plant-based as possible. And then also any encouragement for parents who are receiving a lot of feedback in their ears from family members and friends who are just weighing them down. Okay. So the first one, um, tips to get started. I think One thing that can be really helpful, especially if there's a family that's just sort of at the beginning of the journey um, and sort of, I say, dipping their toe into the plant-based waters, instead of sort of starting to take things away, focus on adding things in. So maybe you start with a big green salad at lunch. Maybe you start with a side of fruit at breakfast. Second thing you can do is to just, you know, most people already eat some plant-based foods. They just don't call it that, right? So they eat pasta with marinara sauce. They eat peanut butter and jelly. They eat you know, whatever the case may be. And so if you have vegan plant-based vegetarian meals that your family already enjoys, just try to serve those things more often. And then the final thing is just to look for the low-hanging fruit and make easy swaps. Like in our family, when I first sort of started going plant-based milk, one of the easiest things was to swap out the plant-based milks because it nobody really cared. It didn't make much of a difference. And so go for the low-hanging fruit. And then you can sort of start to push things a little bit. So if um, if your family really enjoys like a beef stir fry or a chicken stir fry, maybe you swap that out with tofu or maybe you do 50-50 with you know, meat and mixing in some tofu and just kind of gradually work those plant foods slowly. You could also just you know start with like one meal a day. So whether it's breakfast, I think breakfast is one of the easiest meals to start plant-based, like oatmeal, a smoothie, even you know sprouted toast with nut butter. There's so many different plant-based options. So find out 
what's going to be easiest for your family, whether it's adding in some more plant-based foods, making easy swaps, or recreating family favorites and just sort of veganizing them. Those would be my quick tips. And also the other thing I would say is explore different ethnic cuisines. I've been so amazed at how much more interesting our meals have become, whether it's Ethiopian food or Thai food or Indian food. There's, I mean, I think most ethnic foods can be very, very plant-based. So those are some easy tips to get started. And then as far as when you're meeting resistance, I think it could come at different levels and it's going to depend on the relationship. So whether it's your healthcare provider, I've heard many parents say our pediatrician is giving us pushback. Um, sometimes it's like a distant cousin or a grandma or an uncle, someone who don't, you don't see on a regular basis, but they definitely have something to say about the way you're feeding your child. And I think perhaps the most challenging one is when it's um, a close family member, like a partner. And I think one of the things that I emphasize is that cooperation and understanding is much more important than doing it 100% right, if there is such a thing. So I can give you an example in our own family. You know, when I first went plant-based, my husband definitely was not interested in being plant-based, but we had a conversation about it and I asked for what I needed and he shared with me what he was willing to do. And we I think having a conversation and being respectful is really important. And so what that looked like in our family is I sort of made the decision that I wasn't going to shop or cook for cook animal-based foods at all. And so we completely got rid of animal-based foods in the house, which was a huge thing that my partner did for me. And on the flip side, you know, he was not entirely plant-based when he was outside of the home. And I had to sort of relax my feelings about that. And then gradually, you know, he sort of made the shift when he was ready. So ask for respect, try to find common ground. And if it really is one of those relationships where they are sabotaging your efforts, you may need to have a more serious conversation. And we we definitely go through some tips and tools about how to have those more, more delicate conversations. But I think the key is compassion, ask for respect, and try to hear one another. I'm curious if you have advice for people who do get pushback from their pediatrician as oh, another as a yeah. fellow pediatrician. I've had um I've actually had a few people say I gave your book to our pediatrician, so that's one thing you could do. There've also been a couple of good papers that parents can sort of I think arm yourself with information. Because remember, at the big we started this conversation saying that pediatricians actually don't get a lot of training in nutrition. So chances are, if you've been doing your reading and if you've been doing your research, you actually may know, know more about some of these things than your pediatrician does. So arm yourself with information. The Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics published its updated position statement in 2016. And remember, the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, it's not a vegan organization. It's just, it's the world's leading dietetic association. And they published a position statement saying that appropriately planned plant-based diets are safe and appropriate for children during all stages of the life cycle. So you could just share that publication with them. And there are loads of other papers that you could share with your provider. If you feel like you are not armed with all the information that you may need and your pediatrician is giving you pushback, one sort of compromise could be that you could meet with a dietitian that's really comfortable with plant-based diets so that they can support you in your efforts. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for chatting with us about all of this wonderful information. I I don't even have kids and I've been fascinated this whole conversation. We hear these questions all the time. And so to have a resource and to continue suggesting your book as a comprehensive resource is fantastic. So thank you for being a great voice in this space. Thank you for having me on. And honestly, it's been such a pleasure getting to know both of you. I'm so impressed by your delicious food. I've cooked several recipes from your cookbook and also for just the compassion and the kindness that you spread. It's just, um, it's amazing to see. Thank you so much. Dr. Shah, where can people find you online? And then if you send us any resources that you have for people, we will definitely include that in the show notes at plantpoweredpodcast.com. So the best way to connect with me is on Instagram and it's just at Reshma Shah. That's really the best place to find me. We also have a website for the book and it's called nourishthebook.com. And I definitely recommend you check it out because on our resources page, we have, um, if you don't have the book, we have the plate. We talked about the graphic and then we also have like a table about nutrients and we have lots of other resources on our website. It's nourishthebook.com. 
beautiful. We will link that all in the show notes. Thank you so, so much, Dr. Shaw, for being here today and for all you do to make plant-based living more accessible for parents and kids and just bringing the information to the people. We so appreciate it. Thank you to both of you. She was such a wealth of knowledge. I am impressed by how we pretty much rapid fired her the whole time. (laughs) And she quickly came up with the best answers. This is going to be an excellent resource we can use all over the place. And we hope that you benefited from it as well. If you want to look further into some of the resources we mentioned, check out plantpoweredpodcast.com and We will also be including the resources that we have on plantbasedonabudget.com and worldofvegan.com and some of the former podcast guests we have had in the past too. So check those out. A quick reminder to check out our sponsors. First up, we've got Caraloha. If you want to stock up on some sustainable, eco-friendly home goods or activewear, they've got sheets, bedding, towels, you name it. Uh, They even have some fun like towel, beachy towels and things like that. So check out Caraloha and then also Live Bar. If you're a hungry, busy mama like me or papa or just human being on the go a lot who wants to pack nutrition into your life, check out Live Bar at livebar.com. And for all you mamas and papas listening, I just want to say great job. It is quite a journey and a lot of work and just being here listening, learning, and doing the best you can for your little one is a wonderful thing. So great job, mamas and papas. Um, if you'd like to support the show, the Plant Powered People podcast, you can do so, of course, always by leaving a review. We love that. But we also have a Patreon page where you can financially support the Plant Powered People podcast and our other endeavors at patreon.com slash people. For as little as a dollar or $5 a month, you can support the show and help bring it to life. Um, It's near and dear to Tony and my hearts. (laughs) Um, And it means the world to us, uh, those who support in any way by sharing the show, by leaving a review or by supporting on Patreon. So thank you so much. And thank you to all of those already supporting us. It just makes us feel all the warm fuzzies. (laughs) Well, we will see you in the next, or you will listen to us (laughs) in the next episode. Thank you for listening and have a great day. Bye, Bye everyone.